Let's make these confessions of our faith this morning. Say, I walk in the favor of God, which produces supernatural increase and promotion, restoration from everything, anything the enemy has stolen from me. Honor in the midst of my adversary. Increase assets, especially in the area of houses and land. Great victories in the midst of great impossibilities. Recognition, even when it seems least likely that I would receive it. Prominence and preferred treatment. Petitions granted, even by ungodly civil authorities. Policies, regulations, laws to be changed and reversed in my advantage. Battles won which I won't even have to fight. For the Lord will fight them for me. Father, I thank you. I walk in the favor of God. And I fully expect the favor of God on my life this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we God, God, we bless you and we praise you for this opportunity, Lord, to get into your word on this morning. Holy Spirit, you are indeed welcome in this place. I pray that you will speak to my vocal cords and think through my mind. I pray, Lord, none of me and all of you. Thank you for a word in due season, for articulation of your heart. Lord, you said cover the gifts of the Spirit. So we pray, Lord, that indeed that the gifts of the Spirit will be in manifestation and operation on this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone to say amen. Say, Father, I've come to receive. I know it's a lot of talking. Revelation wisdom and understanding from your holy word and I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis and everyone said amen yeah well, see one of the things we, we got to realize is that we, we talk a lot during the week but we got to ask the question how much word are we saying much word are we getting into our mouths so they can be a manifestation in our lives again one of the assignments that we have as a church is to begin to break the religious norms of church being something I do on Sunday to it becoming something I do every day that's why we say every day is you I live for every day not just Sunday not just some days but every single day of my life, which means I allow the word of God to come out of my mouth every day, not just Sunday, not just when I'm feeling the good churches. Every day I allow the word to come out of my mouth. Every day I confess the word of God. And when you do so, the Bible says the angels of God hearken to the voice of the word of God. So you employ your angels by you just getting the word coming out of your mouth, speaking it over your house, speaking it over your situation. That I believe God, Lord, for the favor of God to flow concerning this business deal, concerning my house, concerning relationships. I believe you, Lord, that the favor of God is working for me, in me, right now, in the name of Jesus. And the more I begin to say it, the more confidence begins to build on the inside of me. The more I begin to say it, the more the angels have something to work with. The more I begin to say it, the more the Holy Spirit can bring back to your remember certain things. Opening your mouth and saying what God says, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Amen, 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 and amen. Let's get into today's actual teaching. Let's start over here at Ephesians. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks concerning how do I begin to trust the inward witness? How do I begin to trust the inward witness? And my assignment is to just kind of deal in some areas of, uh, I guess, more or less introductory for this section that we're in now, uh, because we're not really gotten into where we're going to go in regards to this, but we're going to get there. First area that we said is that we first got to do is check our motives. Who receives the glory from this decision or this thing that God, that you feel like God is leading in, you into? The next thing we said is you got to check your root of love. This is your vertical relationship with God. It's, this is in its proper place. Am I a Sunday saint or am I a Monday ain't? 
Number three, we got to check, does this leading require faith? Anything that God calls you into, anything he leads you into will require faith. Faith, he says, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. So anything, any leading that God leads you into will require faith. Fourth thing we said is will check to see whether or not this will bring life to a situation or a circumstance. And we've now begin to talk about this area of number five. When I believe God is leading me, I got to assess the risk reward. I got to assess the risk reward. And we've indicated to you this past Sunday and also in the midweek that God leads us through steps. Not these huge, large elevations, but through steps and stages. He leads us through a progressive stance. He always leads us, as the word step means, it means a degree, a grade, a rank in a scale. God leads us from a stage in a process. And in the midst of the stages that we are involved with, God is always developing us in the process. That the place that he showed you, of course, is vision, but the individual assignments, the steps of a good man, the scripture says, are ordered. They are arranged. They are established by the Lord. So we cannot bypass the steps in order to try to accomplish this big and wonderful and great thing. And the reason why Jesus says he talks about despise not small beginnings is because, yeah, when you see this big vision, this big thing that God showed you and you look at this one individual step that you're on, you can have a tendency to despise, which means to think less of the step that you're on. You can begin to say to yourself, man, look, I see where I'm going. And if you're not careful what will happen, I've seen this happen a lot of times where ministry gifts are concerned, is that you'll get into an area of pride because God has shown you this great and wonderful thing. And you get to say, don't you know who I am? Well, you ain't that now. <laughs> don't you know who I'm going to be? You don't realize and recognize the thing that he showed you. When you get there, you'll be so developed and so humble that you won't even think that you all that when you are actually there. God develops us in steps and stages, and one of the things that he begins to do on each individual step is work out of you the stuff that needs to get out of you for the elevation that he sent and he's calling you to. If you understand that, say amen. Now, having said all of that, in order to not review too, too much, let's look at Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, as we indicated to you on this past week, there is a purity. There's a wonderful thing about knowing where you are in your faith and understanding where you are in your faith. Examining where you are in your faith so that you know where you are. What can you believe God for? Ephesians chapter 5. I want to look really quick. I saw this when I was preparing a little bit this morning. Ephesians chapter 5 is an amazing chapter because it begins... Paul is talking to the church. And that's why he begins in verse number one. He says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. And he says in verse number two, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us as an offering, as offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savior. So he says, be an imitator of God. God, therefore, is our pattern. He is our template on how we are to lead life. Now, Paul does not say in this instance, he says, he doesn't talk about being like me. And even when he does talk about that over in Corinthians, he's talking about follow me as I follow Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, he's talking and giving the illustration that it is that we are supposed to pattern ourselves to be more like Jesus. And so then he goes on and he says in verse number 6, he says, let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. I do realize none of this is in the slides. It's all right. Amen. <laughs> Verse number six out of the Amplified says it like this. Now watch this. It says, uh, let no one deceive you with empty arguments that encourage you to sin. 
For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience who habitually sin. So he says, don't let anybody deceive you into thinking, well, how does that look? Well, ain't nobody going to know it's all good. Don't let anybody deceive you into getting out of the center of God's will, pulling you away, saying, well, it's okay to take a side cut or side journey or side cut or something else. If you notice in Matthew chapter four and you look over also, I think in Luke chapter four, the thing that the devil did when it came to Jesus was he tried to get him to take a shortcut. He said, no, you ain't got to do all that. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all the glory. If you just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all these things. We got to be careful about shortcuts. Shortcuts to try to achieve a divine destiny. God will always show you what it is at the end, the vision of what you can be. And the devil will always show up and tell you, you can do this to, to cut the corner here. You can cut a corner there. You can do this. You don't do, you don't take, you hear the famous, it don't take all that <laughs> to accomplish the will of God. It is the same trick every single time. Vain words that try to pull you away to take his shortcut to a divine or a honest to goodness good thing. And that's why it becomes important that we understand and recognize this. That yes, my motives might be, yes, God, I want to do what you called me to do. The devil says, yes, hey, you want to do what the Lord called you to do. Why don't you take this way? Nobody going to know. It, everybody's doing it anyway. A shortcut. Because what he knows is when you arrive at that place, if it's not from a place of purity, then what will begin to happen is he's already entered in the seed of corruption. So that when your elevation is there and it's in its point and it is in its place, you can't walk in it in its fullness because you always have this area of guilt on the inside of you of how you actually got there. Steps, stages, progress. God always leads us in developing us. It's not that God's taking too long. Sometimes it's us that we take too long in the development process. That's why he says, put that down, slide that away, push this away. Don't do this because he says, I know where I'm leading you. And it's going to require something from you that you don't even recognize, maybe even on this step that you're on. Verse number eight, he goes on to say, he says, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are in the Lord. He says, you were in the darkness. He's translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. He says, you were in the dark, but now you're in the light. See, he says, walk as people, as children of the light, which means that requires me to be different. Verse number nine, he says, for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now, verse number 10 says, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. The Amplified Version of the Bible says, verse nine, he says, for the fruit, the effect, the result of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Sounds very similar to what he says over in Galatians chapter 5. He says the fruit, the result of the presence of God on the inside of you is, he says, light consistent in all goodness and righteousness, which is right standing with God and then walking in the truth. He says, verse number 10, trying to learn by experience what is pleasing to the Lord and letting your lifestyle, not your moment. Your lifestyle, the example of what is most acceptable to him, your behavior expressing gratitude to God for your salvation. He says, trying to learn by experience, trying, you know, you know, because we hear this all the time as well. You know, Christians like this little wonderful cop out, you know, ain't nobody perfect. We all are falling short of the glory of God. Yeah, that's how we all get born again. You should never make an excuse for trying to be perfect. He says, be imitators of God. God is perfect. And so we as children of light should always have an effort, have a desire to get better and better and to become more like him. And stop with the Christian excuses saying, well, you know, we know everybody's got issues. Yeah, well, you should be getting better from your issues than you were last year. 
This year, you should have conquered an issue in your life, so that's no longer an issue. Well, I just use, I still use the cussing. I'm still cussing. You've been saved 40 years. When are you going to let it go? Perhaps it's not God. Perhaps it's you. Because you haven't figured out to become an imitator of God and walk as children of the light. Letting go of the mess and embracing the light of who he is. Now, I said all of that to say this. You got to know where you are. What can you believe God for? Most of these areas, and this is the reason why I continue to home in in this spot, is this is the separating point again between Christian and church person. Do I know where I am in my faith? What can I believe God for? My conformity to righteousness, is it, does it have everything to do with my vertical relationship with God or does it have to do with trying to punch the religious card? And I had to figure this out in my own life at one point in time because I got to the point where I got tired of going to church. And I was like, you know what? You know, this is before the pandemic. I said they got so many churches online. Maybe, you know, I, I had been burnt a little bit concerning some areas of church and things weren't working the way I wanted them to. And I said, you know, we ain't really got to go to church. We could just sit here. I had a, a big screen in my house. I was like, we just turn on the TV and watch church and ain't that going to be good enough. Only problem is, he said, forsake ye not the assembling of yourselves together. So we have a conflict. I'm not assembling. I'm assembling in front of my couch. Because I say I value God, but reality is I wasn't keeping his commandments. The issue is, again, believing God has everything to do with your level of obedience. Checking where your faith level is has everything to do in what area. So how much am I really submitted to God? How much am I submitted to what he says over what I want to do? How much am I willing to give up what I want to do to pursue what God wants for me? What can I believe God for? And this is one of the reasons why when we talk about this area of conviction, one of the clearest and easiest way that you can weigh out your area of conviction is in this area of money. The reason why the devil fights so much on people sowing and giving and all these kind of things is because it's attached to your heart. You know, my money is, you know, how we eat. It's how we, how we have lodging. It's how we have all these things. And God says, yes, that's why it's a reoccurring thing in your house because I want you to first submit that to me and see that I'm your source and not the money. And the moment you begin to understand this concept, then you begin to understand. That's why he's saying to sow the 10%. That's why he says to give the offering. Because he says, I want you to put me first and not the money. It's a values thing. It's about you developing in this commitment and this conviction that I keep my word. What can I believe God for? What is my conviction about God and his word? The word conviction literally means the notion of being sure. The notion or a notion of being sure of what you believe is true. You know, this is one of the issues that we have when, um, when um, some of our students and our children go off to college. Parents freak out and they're like, oh, they're going to be in this big environment with all these different influences. One of the reasons why you freak out is because you really don't know what their convictions are. And so if we don't know where their convictions are, you have some issues concerning sending them to an environment that has a lot of different things challenging them because you don't know whether or not they're going to stand or they're going to fall. The reality is we all have got to ask ourselves the question, what do you believe? What do you believe is true? What do you believe about God's word? It's a question we all have to answer. The word conviction means the notion of being certain. What do you know? And what do you really believe? We're developing and training our, our girls. When we got the youngest one, she, she, she's almost four. And we say, don't do this, don't do that, sit down. Hush it up. Because she's loved a little but we don't say that to our 14-year-old because she's older. We start talking to her differently. And, you know, the older you are, the longer time you spend in the things of God, you know, God doesn't just say, put that down. Don't do this. Stop this. 
eventually he began to want to conversate with you and show you how these things work. This is how this works. This is why I said this. This is why I said that. This, again, has everything to do with relationship. So religion tells you, don't do this, don't do that, stop this, stop that. And there's an aspect of that that is absolutely true, is absolutely of God, particularly when we're talking about baby Christians. Stop this, separate from that, quit doing this. In fact, let's look over here. Ephesians chapter 4, that latter part in verse number 11 says, And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. He says, don't need fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. What do he say? Separate, come out from among them, be ye separate, right? The older you get in the kingdom of God, then now God can begin to talk to you like a more mature person. Say, I said separate, that didn't change. But let me explain to you why. Because in your life, you know what you came out of. You cannot go around that same issue and not have it infect you and your walk with me. This person, I'm saying for you to separate from them, is because right now in your development stage that you want, they have more influence on you than I do. So what I'm saying is, I want you to place a value on me, separate from them, so that my influence in your life can get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Again, this has everything to do with maturity. The older we get, the more we spend with God, the more God begins to say, let me talk to you and explain the wise. Does that make sense? Now, <clears throat> conviction, the notion of being sure of what I believe is true. The notion of being certain. Now look over here at James chapter 1 and verse 8. James chapter 1 and verse 8. When I am not sure about what I believe, when I'm not sure about my stance with God, when I'm not sure, the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Unstable in all his ways. And the Amplified says, being a double-minded man, unstable and restless in all his ways, in everything he thinks, feels, or decides. When I don't have this area settled in my life, and the way I think, the way I decide things, is always double-minded. I believe you, God, but I don't. I believe your word, but I'm not sure. It's wishy-washy believing. And God says that person is unstable in everything they do. And the reality is when you're on step number one, God says one of the reasons why my steps are arranged, the reason why my steps are established is because a lot of this double-mindedness has got to be worked out in step one through three. <laughs> because by the time you get to step five, there are certain things you should know about God. This is the reason why we see again in the book of Exodus, God begins to talk to, to the children of Israel a little different and say, well, look, at this point in time, when are you going to believe me? I, I got you out of Egypt. Didn't you see all these wonderful things? I brought you over to Red Sea. Didn't you see me work in miraculous ways? At what point in time are you going to shift from believing Egypt and believing me? Because you should be developed at this point. When you see God starting to talk to you a little funky, it's because you are making a decision not to believe, which is called unbelief. Now, God can deal with this area of doubt. He'll show you how to drown doubt in your life. But when it's talking about unbelief, I made a decision to believe this and not believe him. And that's when God says, okay, I've shown you enough stuff in your life that when are you going to move into this area of conviction that I'm going to take care of you? I already have. He says a double-minded man is un unstable in everything he thinks, he feels, and the way he decides life. The way he makes his decisions, the way he goes about things. You, you, I don't know. And God says, that cannot exist at stage five. I can tolerate it because I'm working with you on one through three. But at some point in time, if you're going to accomplish that vision that I gave you, you have got to be single-minded. 
and have singleness of purpose that I know God is with me. I know God will. So this kind of thing frightens the religious folks because religious folks say, well, you never know. I'm not sure. No, no, no. For them that do know their God, they shall be strong and do exploits. God wants you to graduate from being just simply somebody that's wishy-washy that someone said, no, I know God's going to. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know how this is going to flow together, but I know my God well enough to know that he certainly will bring it to pass and I'm going to just stand on what he said before my eyes can see something changing before my ears can hear something changing I know God's going to do exactly what he's going to say said he's going to do because he's been developing me in the process of stages and steps now I'm way out there this morning let's hear <laughs> we talked about on last week things we should know things I should know these are very practical areas, things I should know. I should be aware of my current faith level. What can I believe God for? And one of the easiest ways that you can determine that, particularly, is in this area of finances. God says, give me 10%. Well, you're struggling with that. You're struggling with 10 cents of a dollar then how in the world do you think you can believe God for healing? How in the world can you believe God for promotion? Because you can't trust him with 10 cents of a dollar. Where is my faith level? What can I believe God for? Number two, and do I have a heart to develop my faith beyond its current level? Do I have a heart to develop my faith beyond its current level? A lot of folks, I'm going to be honest with you, the answer is no, I don't. One of the reasons why I keep asking people whether or not you're going to church, you're going to go to church, because that's my assignment. There are certain people that we've been assigned to and we've been around, and that every time the Lord just says, just ask them, are they going to go to church this week? Ask them, are you going to go to church this week? And he said, now, I got to hear these kind of lies every single week. Why I can't go? Why I can't do this? Why I can't do that? This is what it sounds like to me. And they give you a religious answer, and they say, I'm going. you don't go because you don't want to go. I almost respect somebody to say, I don't go, Reverend, because I don't want to go. I don't value going. But people won't say that, but their actions will indicate that. But God told me, just keep asking them, you won't go to church. Because every time you invite them to church, it's not the question of whether or not they're going to come to church. The question is, have you invited them to come? And now I can begin moving in their life in the back in the booth in the corner and reminding them that, yep, Reverend Smith invited me to go to church and I keep not showing up. I keep saying God's number one, but either I don't go to church. I don't do anything. I only ask right now for four hours of your, of your week, two hours on Sunday, two hours in the midweek. But you got all week long, but that's too much for you. Have do I have a heart to develop my faith beyond its current level? Number three, we said God calls us to take small steps that add up to large elevations. Number four, we said that large elevations never bypass small steps. Large elevations never, they never bypass small steps. And number five, we said know the difference between vision and directives. This area that we're talking about concerning conviction all centers around what I've been alluding to this morning, this area of relationship. Relationships are built on time and trust. Time and trust. If I don't have any time put in with somebody or something, then I'm not going to really have trust where they're concerned. We got some folks right now where, you know, we're working on the house, you know. I don't know them. The reason why I invited them to come to the house to work on the house in regards to certain areas is because of the relationship that I had developed with the person that recommended them. Because we put some time in together and we develop an area of trust. You can't really trust people if you don't put any time in with them. You just don't. It's artificial at best. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21 out of the message translation says, it's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will, you will most want to be and end up being. Time, therefore, if I could say it like this, is an indicator of your heart. When I was courting my wife, I used to spend a lot of time with her. I didn't go around other females because I wanted to be with her, so I spent 
time. It pointed back to what was going on on the inside of me. I would say to all my single people, listen, if he don't want to spend no time with you, he's showing you where he's at. You don't want to give up something, show up when he, when you don't want, uh, when he doesn't want to, or he has other obligations. He makes the effort. That's showing you where his heart is. If he always got to, if he never has time to fit you into the schedule, never has time to get you to do anything or a spending of his money, then he's showing you that his heart really ain't for you. Time is always an indicator of our heart. So time equals what you value. You say you value God, but you don't never give him no time. No time in devotion, no time in church, no time in your prayer, none of that. But you say, God, you're my heart. I love you, God. Time equals what you value. Time grants you, therefore, experience. I taught this a couple years ago. It equals experience. I've had experiences with you that develop on this road of trust. Then, therefore, we see, understand this, that experience then, therefore, develops trust. I put in the time with you, spending time with you, spending time around you, spending time, seeing how you are when things are good, seeing what things are bad. I put in this and I have different experiences with you. And when I have different experiences with you, I trust your character of what you're going to do. This trust, therefore, results in assurance. I know she's going to do like this. I know she's going to act this way because I put in enough time that I begin to understand this is her character. When we put in the time with God, when we put in the time with who he is, we begin to understand, yeah, God's going to do this. He's going to show up. He's going to do this because I have experiences with him that show me that I can move to a level of assurances that he's going to do this every single time. Assurances, therefore, become personal conviction. It becomes personal conviction. So maybe why I don't have a personal conviction where God is concerned is because I don't have any assurances. And maybe why I don't have any assurances is because I don't have trust in his proper place. I don't have trust in his proper place because I haven't had any experiences with God. And when I don't have any experiences with God, maybe it's because I have to look at my value system. Have I put in any time with God to have the experiences so I can develop in my trust so that I can result in personal conviction that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Every single item is connected. So if I'm having a problem where my conviction is concerned, concerning the things of God, maybe it's because my values have changed. Proverbs chapter 4, I'm almost done. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says that you submit your body to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. You know, I started this morning, early this morning, and I'm going to do some, some research in this area where the Bible talks about thyself, yourself. In the New Testament, it's interesting, just looking at it real briefly this morning, how in the New Testament, God often talks about you submit yourself. You submit yourself, thyself to God. You know, the scripture where he talks about with uh, Paul's talking to Timothy, he says that a workman needs not be ashamed, but because he has the ability to rightly divide the word of truth. It has everything to do with you doing the right stuff so that you're able to discern the right truth. This is what God is really saying as opposed to this is what somebody else is saying. Keeping your heart, therefore, with all diligence is up to you. But the area where I don't keep my heart with all diligence, it does result in this area of me backing away from my original convictions, backing away from the things of God. To back away from the things of God is this area called backsliding, backsliding. Well, we use the term backsliding in the traditional sense of the church, you know, oh, they done backslid. What does that actually mean? Backsliding is essentially a change in your convictions, a change in your convictions and your values. When I'm backsliding, that means that I used to believe this, but now I'm not too sure. My actions begin to change. My behavior begins to change. And the reason why is because my conviction about God has changed. My value concerning God and spending time with him has changed. 
Now, one reason why that might happen in your life is because you thought maybe this was going to happen and it didn't manifest the way you thought. You thought maybe I was going to be at this point in my life and it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to. And little by little, if you're not careful, you start beginning to back away from the things you used to do, which means my values begin to change. And when my values begin to change, my conviction begins to change as well. What is backsliding? When we think of backsliding, the first thing we got to check is what have you spent your time with? Where have you spent your time? Again, we said time is a is a indicator of your heart. If my conviction have changed, if my values have changed, where have I been spending my time? Keep your heart with all diligence. What have I been allowing to get on the inside of me? Have I been allowing God's word to get on the inside of me more than Netflix? Have I allowed God's word to get on on the inside of me more than my favorite channel? Where I spend my time determines what I value. What I value, therefore, determines where my level of conviction is. This is how we begin to determine where is your faith? What is backsliding? Backsliding is the process of unchecked and unaccounted decisions. It is the process of unchecked and unaccounted decisions where I allow myself to be held accountable. You know, a lot of folks that I can think of just this second right now to keep, that come to mind when, when I was studying this part out. You made one decision. Somebody said, well, that ain't God. You're accountable to nobody. You do what you want to do. You, you, you do anything that you want to do. You go anywhere you want to go. Nobody can say anything to you. That is one of the ways that you get out of the will of God. Because one of the things you'll discover is that even in the New Testament, Paul went back up to Jerusalem. He talked with Peter. He talked with James. Paul was a great man of God, but he always kept himself in a position of accountability. But you super, super Christian. Nobody can tell you anything. Nobody can hold you accountable for your decision. You said, yeah, God said this to me and I got this great vision. Well, what are you doing with it now? Can anybody call you up and say, what are you doing now? Are you accountable to somebody? And I submit to you, if you're not, then you're already beginning the process of being in a backslidden state. Because God always sets up points of accountability before elevation comes to pass in your life. Always sets up somebody that's going to check you on your stuff. Always sets up people in your life that will begin to call you on the carpet in certain areas of your life. This is a part of the development of the steps and the stages. What is backsliding? Backsliding is when you move into the aim of demonic fire or attack. Is the devil, and the question we got to ask ourselves, is the devil attacking you or taking payment for the use of his tools? Is the devil attacking you? Because Christians say, you know, when particularly backslidden Christians that are moved away from their values, moved away from their convictions in, in the things of God, and they say, well, the devil is attacking me. No, it's not the devil attacking you. If you check over your life, how many times have you been defiant to what God has been saying? How many times have you decided, well, I'm just going to tell them off and just give them peace of my mind, or you decided to operate in your flesh, which is in your carnal nature, and now you think it's the devil. No, the devil is just simply taking payment for those times that you have not walked in the spirit, but you've decided to sow to your flesh. And he said, you sow into your flesh, that means you'll reap a harvest of corruption. Well, corruption is his domain. So he says, I'm demanding payment for the use of my tools. It's not an attack. It's just simply a payment. What is backsliding? What is backsliding? The word backsliding literally comes from a Hebrew word, which means apostate. Apostate. What is apostate? It means to abandon the faith. To backslide means to be idolatrous, which means what? I have elevated something else above God in my life. Backsliding means that I've turned away. Maybe perhaps the issue that we have sometimes when it pertains to your conviction and knowing where your faith is, how we recognize and realize these areas where I have turned away from my belief system. Where have I turned away from my belief system? When my values have shifted. 
Backsliding always looks the exact same way every single time. The progression is always temptation. There's a way that seems better than God's way. There's a shortcut that shows up. There's something I can accomplish apart from the way God is dictating or directing. The devil shows up and he says, no, you ain't got, again, you don't take all that. I'll show you how to skip step three, four, and five and elevate to ten. It's always a temptation that shows up. The Bible says in Proverbs 14 and verse 12, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So the first area we see when a backsliding progression begins is the temptation shows up. If you don't resist the devil and instead you welcome the devil, you move into the next area where your lack of resistance begins to break down. It begins to break down your lack of resistance. This is where your values begin to change. Why? Because all of a sudden, see, what will happen? And I've seen it happen right here in the life of this church. You make a commitment. I'm going to start coming to church. I guarantee you the second you start saying, making moves to make a commitment, to start going to church, start getting in the word, stuff is going to show up. Distractions in life are going to show up because it wants to speak louder to you than God's word. And so when those temptations shows up, it begins to speak louder to you and begin to take away from that value that you've been trying to cultivate. It begins to bring in the lack of resistance in your life, which then results in this next area, this area of sin. And then once you men enter into this area of sin, now I start to feel guilty. It results in the fact that, yeah, I feel bad about this thing. Lord, I feel so awkward. Lord God, I got to repent and all these kind of things. And what happens is when you don't have accountability in its proper place, what can either happen is a choice is resulting where I decide I'm going to repent or I move to an area of defiance. You ever notice that, uh, particularly when people are in an area of sin, if they move into this area of defiance, they get angry with you when you tell them the truth. It might not have been something that you confront them directly with, but anytime truth begins to be spoken, they get angry and they want to fight. And they say, no, what are you talking about? Don't judge me. It's because you moved into this area of defiance. You know what you're doing is wrong. And anytime truth shows up to convict you, that you're doing wrong, you want to reject it because you have moved into this area of defiance. It's always the same area. Thank God that we, we as believers at this church, we don't move into an area of defiance, we move into the area of repentance. Repentance where I change the way I think, I change my behavior, and I resubmit back to God. If I do these things, then we find that God will back us up. His blessing will restore. Everything that you've been looking for will be restored to you because you submitted to do things God's way. Backsliding always looks exactly the same way. It might be a different sin in your life than it is in my life. But when you allow temptation to grow and you res your resistance begins to get uh, begins to fall and then you move to an area of sin, you always got to make this decision. I'm going to seek God and return back to a state of righteousness and not move into an area of defiance. I should know where I am in my faith walk. And when God is calling you in to do something and to move in a certain direction, you got to ask the question, where is my faith? What do I really believe about Let's pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we bless you and we praise you for this opportunity to have gotten into your word on this morning. Lord, we pray indeed for every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, that the conviction concerning your word, the conviction of who you are, would just rapidly grow. That as they spend the time with you, Lord, as they spend the time developing in their relationship with you, God, that the area of trust would grow and develop in their lives. Lord, that they would spend so much time with you that they would begin to recognize when the devil shows up with a temptation to pull them out of this relationship with you. Lord, we just decide as an act of our will to submit to you, to submit to your will, and dear God, to submit to your very ways. And we give you praise, Lord, that you're always leading us to a place of righteousness, and to a place that we will be better 
every day. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Everyone that say amen. It's giving time. Malachi. Let's look back over at Malachi. I made a lot of reference in this morning's teaching to uh, believing God in this area where giving is concerned. Malachi chapter 3. And so that's why I wanted to look at this again during our giving time. Malachi chapter 3, and the scripture says in verse number 8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? He says, In tithes and offerings. He says, You are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me even this whole nation. He says, Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse, that there might be or that there may be meat in mine house. Now notice the word, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. You know, there's not a lot of places in the scripture where the Bible talks, where God says, prove me in this, examine me in this, scrutinize this area of your life. But he says, prove me in this herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. Prove me, try me out in this area. He says, if I will not open to you, open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. So he says, bring the tithe, bring the offering to me and try me in this. He says, will I not pour you out? He didn't say multiple blessings. He says a blessing according to the scripture here. But that one blessing in your life shall be so great that there's not room enough to receive it. He says, I'm going to pour you out this abundance. This blessing is this empowerment in your life that connects you with everything else that you need. But he says, try me in this. Prove me in this. Why does he say this? Because I want to develop you in your conviction concerning my word. Your money is your opportunity to, to put it into the hands of God, to trust him, to take care of your house. Now he says, bring 10% and then bring the offering as I dictate. Now, now a lot of people like to say, well, see right there. See, tithing is not in the New Testament. You're right. The offering is. The offering where the spirit of God will tell you to bring any amount that he chooses. Because if you look into the book of Acts, one of the things you see, particularly when we're looking at Ananias and Sapphira, is that everybody was led by the Spirit of God to sell their land and bring all the money to the church. So in the New Testament, you're absolutely correct. It's not just simply the tithe. The Spirit of God can direct you to give what he determines. The principle that we deposit in the tithe is that to take this 10% of your income and submit it to God. To take the offerings that God tells you and he's leading you into and submit it to God. And he says, trust me in this area. Trust me. Develop your faith in this area. That I'll take care of every other need in your life. I'll take care of you. Allow me to be God in your life and not allow money to be God in your life. Deposit your faith in me. And he says, I'm going to take care of you. But you've got to see this in your own life. And the more you begin to see this in your own life, the more you begin to elevate from step number one to step number two. God can take care of me where my finances and my needs are concerned. Well, there are three ways that you can sow into the training center. The first way is, of course, through the uh, training center uh, website. The second way that you can sow is, of course, live. The third way you can sow is through our app, which is um, through our, um, sorry, our cash app, which is dollar sign one TTC. And the last but not least is, of course, you can sow through our PO box number. And like I said, again, a second ago, you can, of course, sow live in the building at this time. Whichever way that the Spirit of God is leading you to sow, we believe that God will return a harvest in your life. So if you have your seed, let's lift it before God and we're going to set ourselves in agreement with you at this time. 
Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you that you are the one that empowers us to prosper. We thank you, Lord, that we take this opportunity to give back to you what you've given to us, therefore, God. And we do so as a point of honor for you. Thanking you, Lord, that you would indeed, over the lives of your people, that you would indeed multiply seed to the soil. I set myself in agreement with every member and every partner that sows into this ministry, that, Lord, that they would have an abundant harvest for their seeds monetarily. Lord, I even thank you that you would just bless them abundantly for their seeds of their time and their sweat and their efforts even here in the house, God. We thank you, Lord, that this is your house. Therefore, this is your storehouse. So we receive the gifts of your people in Jesus' name. And everyone did say amen. Good morning and welcome to TTC. We are the Training Center Church here in Gastonia, North Carolina. If you're joining us via social media, we'd like to say thank you this morning for taking this time to have worship with us. We are located here in the city of Gastonia, North Carolina at 1314 West 2nd Avenue, Suite A and B. We have our services here at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Bible studies on Thursdays at 7 p.m. If you're in our city or coming from afford, we'd like to welcome you to join us for live and in-person worship and for midweek Bible study. Thanks again for joining us here with Pastor A.C. Smith and the Training Center Church. God bless. <laughs> 